0: So, how you and welcome to the new podcast series entitled F- Fights, Debates and Battles in Sports Robotetics by Isakos. My name is Manos Brilakis from Hygia Hospital in Athens, Greece, and I'm a deputy chair of the Isakos Communication Committee and a member of the editorial boards of the Journal of Isakos. Being driven by our passion for continuous education and bringing in contact Isakos members, we came up with this idea of launch, launching this podcast series. Today, the episode is dedicated to shoulder and more specific to the recurrent shoulder stability. In a two days' battle, two charismatic shoulder surgeons from around the world will debate on the different approaches to the specific issue. So, we have um, from <laughs> in one corner, Dr. Berthe Boe from Norway, from Oslo University Hospital, and a member of the ASACOS Communication Committee. And in the other corner, uh, Mary McCarthy from uh, associate professor from Tulane University in New Orleans, and member of this is shoulder committee. So hello everyone. Hi. We have recurrent the shoulder stability, and uh, the um, we have from uh, one hand the classic bank repair. We perform alone or uh, with uh, augmentation with other soft tissue procedures, and from the other uh, from the other hand we have. Uh, the Latter-day or other bony procedures in order to uh, ma- to manage th- these cases and uh, my my question is why we have different percentage of performing uh, soft tissue procedures in USA and in Europe or in France and in other world in the rest of the world so we have the same problem we have we have probably the same indication why we have this uh difference so mary you, do you like to start
1: sure yeah so first thank you so much to to you and to Issacos for giving us this opportunity and this, creating this great podcast and it's fun to battle this out with my very good friend berta so i'm excited to be here to, to see you and see you manas too so thank you again for the opportunity um so as for why there's this difference it's interesting right um, and we talk about it certainly all the time in the United States at our sports medicine meetings uh, and it's fun when we have this international overlap and then we can really debate um I think the main one of the main reasons is kind of how we're trained um we focus so much more on doing you know arthroscopic procedure doing the bank art uh, for most primary um shoulder dislocation sort of as the first treatment for shoulder instability. Um, And I know we're going to get into bone loss, et cetera, and Berta will cover that in detail. But um, I think there's just a lot more focus on uh, Latter-day and and incredible surgeons who've developed the technique and refined the technique in Europe. Um, And so I think there's a lot more exposure in Europe. And I think that that definitely has an impact on what we do, certainly as our um, earlier uh, treatment options, Um, you know, certainly as for those, for, you know, surgeons, sports medicine and shoulder surgeons in the United States, like when uh, there are definitely times when we will do a Latter-day, but it's really almost never the first thing that we would do.
0: And Berto, was it in uh, your practice?
2: Yes. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me to this battle. I think we can manage that. It's very nice to be here together with both you, Manos, and my very good friend Mary. Um, I'm from Northern Europe, from Scandinavia, Norway, and of course there are differences also within Europe. So we know that it's especially the French surgeons that uh, do a lot of lataches, but I have uh, realized that we are also doing it more than in the States and. Uh, Mary was mentioning that they were trained in mostly arthroscopic surgery. And uh, in U.S., I think most people doing the latache is doing it like an open procedure. But we know that in Europe, especially the French, again, they are also doing the latache arthroscopically. So that's also a difference between the continents. And, of course, it has a lot to say how you we were trained. Um, and surgeons tend to do procedures that they are familiar with and that they have learned from their masters. So of course, when everybody around you is doing more latitudes, you will also lower your threshold to do that. So yes, tradition and also for the French, uh, we all know about the ISIS score. Uh, It was published 2007 from very famous French surgeons. And uh, maybe especially the French, but also the rest of the European surgeons tend to use that scale more. And in the beginning, uh, they recommended to do LATACHE if you had more than six points. But then we have seen during the years that this threshold has been lower and lower. So the French actually propose now that you should do a LATACHE if, if the patient have more than two points ISIS score or three points. And that's a very low threshold. So I think most surgeons outside uh, France will have a higher threshold than that. But yes, we do We do more than the Americans, we do.
0: Okay. However, on my, uh, from my perspective, I think that uh, we have the bankrupt lesion, which is the essential, essential lesion in the anterior shoulder stability. And uh, we have the, the bone loss. And uh, we have uh, the 25% of bone uh, loss that uh, was used to be um, the limit of performing bone procedures. And now uh, from 2015, we have the subcritical bone loss, uh, 13.5% that uh, all the functional scores are uh, decreasing. So let's uh, say that this is the limit for performing a bone procedure. However, from 0%, to 13.5%, there is a gray zone. So, um, from my perspective, I see some surgeons that uh, increase the, the threshold of uh, doing bankers' repair, or they use remplissage or ASA or or other procedures that uh, augment the classic arthroscopic banker repair, and uh, other surgeons lower their threshold. Uh, uh, of doing Bonnie procedure or or uh, so uh, I uh, want to ask you both: How do you decide between the two categories? Uh, Mary st- t- told earlier that uh, uh, for primary cases, um, uh, uh, Bancard, or for uh, revision cases, uh, Latarse. If I, f- I understand correct, uh, which is the indication for for you for 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 selecting one or the other option.
1: Is that directed towards me, Manos, or do you want Bert to comment? Uh,
0: this is a fight, you can, uh, you, <laughs> you can answer without, uh, without asking.
1: So, I mean, I guess I would just add one thing before I definitely want to hear what Berta has to say about this, but um, it's, I guess, not as clear cut as like primary is always, you know, a bank card repair and a revision is always latter J. I think there's a lot of things that we all take into account, but uh, just more saying that it would be incredibly rare. And I would go as far as to say almost never that uh, in the United States would sports medicine and shoulder surgeons um, do a latter J as the first treatment for a patient with shoulder instability. But anyway, of course, there are a lot of things to take into account, Um, and so indications when they're, you know, when a patient has had multiple procedures, or there's certainly bone loss, and I'm so glad you brought up that topic of like, uh, the idea of subcritical bone loss, because I think our indications have moved, you know, we're getting smaller and smaller, originally, it's like, what, 20 to 25%. And now we're thinking, we know that even much less bone loss has significant implications for our patients. But certainly in, in a in a situation where a patient has already had surgery, or has failed that, uh, and our contact athletes, right, that's where I mean, it's such a low score, right, Two even two to four points on the you just take into account a male athlete who plays a contact sport and that's a latter day every time um so so i guess i just wanted to clarify that point is that it's not so clear cut of like all all primaries are are uh, bank card repair and revision latter day but certainly i take into account all the factors including age hand dominance activity level desired activity level and then um uh, of course bone loss
0: and better for you
2: Yes, bone loss is of course a central part of of the assessment to the patient. Well, all patients, we have this list in our head about age and competitive sport and hyperlexity and stuff. But when it comes to bone loss, um, we are talking about the glenoid bone loss with 13%. But whether I sometimes do a bank with a remplissage That will happen if there also is a hill sex lesion uh, of a certain size. So there might be cases with less than 10% bone loss of the glenoid, but then they have a broad or a deep uh, hill sex uh, where I will think, okay, this can probably do with a bunker because there's so little bone loss on the glenoid. And on the other hand, there might be patients with maybe 20% bone loss of the glenoid, but and uh, no, almost no Hill sex lesion, and that would not be a case for Bancart for me. So we are all familiar with the on-track, off-track um, uh, uh, principles, and and so, so you have to consider both sides bone loss before you decide what kind of procedure. And we also know that for, I don't have this strict uh, primary operation or revision either, but of course, If you already did a bone cut or some other uh, procedure, um, the patient will also, uh, to a a large degree, have a bone loss because we know that people having several dislocations and and being operated before, they have more bone loss on both sides than a primary case.
0: Okay. Uh, And Mary, uh, do you perform... Uh, arthroscopic bank repair alone or you augment uh, regularly and with with procedure if so
1: uh, so actually quite similar to to Berkda. I know we're supposed to be fighting but I don't I can't fight about this point but um
0: <laughs> actually so... it's a matter of indication and not uh, it's not a fight I think I that your, your, I'm just your, kidding <laughs> your answers and uh, our uh, we confront the same problems and we have uh, the same uh, thoughts in order to to solve uh, similar problems so actually uh, all these battles are uh, uh, are clo- are uh, uh, concluding uh, probably the p- same thing but it's um, nice to have uh, this battle atmosphere <laughs> yeah
1: no i agree completely i was just kidding sorry um uh, but no, I agree that uh, if there's, uh, you know, Bankart lesion and not a significant hill sachs defect, I would do a Bankart repair alone. Um, but when uh, the hill sachs lesion is large and when it's this off-track lesion, then uh, augmenting with, and and maybe, you know, very minimal bone loss on the glenoid side, um, doing a, um, a remplissage to augment the Bankart repair. And that would be the main procedure that I would use to augment. There's nothing else that I'm doing regularly um, so I, I definitely agree with Berta's um, uh, assessment of that too.
0: Okay. And uh, Berta, I would like to ask you about uh, LATAR-Z. Without bone defects, uh, do you believe that uh, this has a place? Do you do there are indications about this? Uh,
2: there might be some cases where I could go directly to uh, latar um, If the patient um, has had... Um, dislocations because of epileptic seizures, for example, or seizures for other reasons, then I might consider to go directly for the latache. But there's also some difficulties by going to the latache in such patients because I have seen cases where they have had seizures after the latache and and the screws are bent or the bone block is is still (laughs) dislocated in some way. So So those are not easy, but those are the cases I can think of that where I could go directly to a lactose, even if they did not have a glenoid bone loss.
0: Okay. And uh, what are the advantages and disadvantages of doing soft tissue or bone procedure? Uh, uh, what, uh, What do you consider more? What should we put in a weight for this procedure? Uh, of course are the indication, first of all, but also uh, the, are there the things that we take into account? The sort the surgeon has in mind about choosing? Sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one big thing is uh, is comfort level. And we talked about that kind of at the beginning of our discussion, but and familiarity. Uh, and so we certainly in the United States do far more uh, arthroscopic bank cart repairs than we do latter Js like collectively. Um, so, Just understanding, like, appropriate, you know, how to position the patient, navigation of the equipment, and all of that is like much more familiar to us um, and to our teams, to our OR teams. Uh, And so I think that that's something that makes it easier, a little bit smoother, people know what to expect uh and then with the latter j just because in general it's done less commonly in the united states just requires a little bit more planning like getting the team on board making sure everybody's aware you have all the appropriate equipment there the patient's positioned appropriately um and i mean there are some places in the u.s that do it more than others but uh, just kind of across the board we do it far less common than than arthroscopic procedures um so those are some of the i guess differences for us here anyway
2: Yes, it's obviously more, more easy to perform and more surgeons can perform a bank card. And at least in Norway, where there are long distances, I guess that some surgeons would try to do a bank card, even if they thought that maybe there was an indication for a latte share, because if the patient was going to get a they have to transfer the patient to another hospital. And I definitely agree with you that if you're going to do a demanding procedure like latte share, you need your team around you. And um, you need people that that know what to do and that you can trust for the equipment and everything. And also this basic thing that repairing the labrum and, and suturing the capsule back, that's an anatomic procedure. While when you're going to a bony procedure, you kind of change the anatomy of the patient. And um, there are higher risk of complications, of course. And also this thing that if you, place your bone block a little bit wrong, either too medial or too lateral. Uh, Medial can be forgiven, but lateral, no, because then you turn the young patients into osteoarthritic patients, and that's a disaster. So that's also the difference between those two procedures.
0: Okay, yes, and also from the one side we have soft soft tissue procedures with lower complication but higher recurrence rate. And from the other hand, we have bone procedure with a, a higher complication, but lower recurrence rate. So it's a matter of the surgeon who, in which place you, you can handle better, <laughs> I think. Um, so Mary, we have an, an external rotation deficit referred in uh, much um, backhand repairs. And also, if they are uh, augmented with remplis, also there are some uh, uh, studies that uh, shows external rotation deficit after uh, postoperatively. Um, is is significant if this affect your choice?
1: so you're you're absolutely right. There's definitely a a risk of um, losing some external rotation, and that usually happens, but it's not a huge amount, like maybe five, 10 degrees. And in most patients, they're not really gonna notice that. Uh, In a throwing athlete, yes, maybe that's gonna be a more significant uh, concern, but in general, um, no, it's not something, like if it's it's indicated, uh, then I would definitely do that. But in the patients where they're going to notice it, it's really important to make them aware of that. Um, but so that's a very small group, but but so it can have an implication in that particular group, but in most patients, again, they're not going to notice the small difference.
0: So it is um, uh, not clinical significant, okay? No. And and Berthe, uh, after a bone procedure, after the do you have external rotation deficit in a thrown athlete? Do you uh, perform the uh, more easy than a bank and repair for this reason? I. I I uh, is my question no, for this.
2: No, not not really. Um when when I do a procedure to stabilize the shoulder, e- even if it's a bunkard or a latache, I always tell them that there might be some some loss of external rotation. And as Mary said, for most people this is not a problem. Actually, I often show them how much I can do in external rotation. And that's not much. <laughs> and, and I tell them, I can live with this. This is this is totally normal for me. Um, and many of the shoulder instability patients, they are a little bit hyperlax, at least in their shoulders. So they often do like 85 degrees of external rotation and then tell them that you can live with, with a little bit less. But of course, then it's the trovers. Uh, and um, and uh, I tell them there's always a risk that you will lose some degrees of external rotation, unfortunately.
0: So every, every procedure... Uh, may, lo- may may make you lose uh, some external rotation, both bony and soft tissue procedures.
2: So,
0: yes, it uh, happens in the latter shares as well. Yeah. Okay, that's clear. And uh, since we have some more time, we can uh, discuss some case scenarios. So, uh, a 16 year old basketball player with the first time dil- dislocation and no glenoid bone loss with uh, a small or a medium heel sacs. So, uh, for you, Mary will perform a bunker repair alone or not?
1: Yeah. So this is a great, uh, case scenario and one that we discussed across the world. Uh, I think, you know, just getting at the first time dislocation patient too. Right. So, and, and we could probably talk for an hour about that alone and, and we won't, but, um, I mean, I would definitely have a long discussion with the patient and his or her family to just explain to them the nature of the injury, the natural history of this injury, um, that there's a very high risk that he or she will dislocate again, and that they just understand that it is 99.99% certain that they have a Bankart lesion, um, and, and explain to them what that is. That, that being said, at this very moment in time, I would still... Do a little bit of rehab with this patient, right? Have them kind of go through that period. I'm not operating on them straight away, but I do tell them if they have a subluxation, certainly if they have another frank dislocation, then uh, we absolutely need to consider moving forward with surgery at that point. Um, So anyway, having that very detailed discussion, I think is important. And then assuming, you know, we get to the point now of surgery in this particular patient, um, I would do a bank cart repair alone. Sounds like, you know, no glenoid bone loss, small hill sax lesion. Um, This patient should do well with a bank cart repair. And then, uh, of course, post-op rehab and and understanding and expectations about timing for return to play will be really important.
0: Perfect. And for this case, uh, Berthe, do you have, there's there's a place for Latarze.
2: I would, I would not perform a latache for these patients now. Uh, the discussion for us, us as well is whether to do surgery or not and inform them that we don't have to do surgery right away. Um, for example, he could get more quickly back to sport without surgery and maybe he's lucky and we can wait until the end of the season before we do anything. But of course, tell him the risk of recurrence both with surgery and without. And um, this is a basketball player. Um, I know that, for example, in the states they do have rugby players and American football players. We don't have many doing that in Norway. So uh, there might be a place for Latage for first surgery in such kind of sports. But as I said, we don't have many of them in Norway.
0: So another case scenario: we have a 35 years old uh, patient that uh, he has been operated in the past. Ten years earlier, with back and repair, uh, he has returned fully to sports. He is not a proce- professional athlete; is a weekend warrior, and have a new traumatic uh, event. He falls uh, from his bicycle and have a ligament dislocation. So, uh, how do you consider? How do you manage this case? Uh,
2: this is a revision case. So that would lower my threshold to do a latage uh, compared to a first case because a first case in a thirty five year old would probably not need to be operated at all but it's a it's a second time after a bonecar, so then of course that will lower my threshold to do a latageg but I will do the same uh, same assessment as for for every other patients to to measure the bone loss and and uh, also, we'll probably use the MRI to see if I could see the labrum, uh, if it if it was there or if it was difficult to see in the MRI. And for most revision cases, I am always prepared to do a share if there's no labrum there. Yeah. Well, excellent points.
1: Um, so this patient, thirty-five years old, so a little bit a little bit older, a little bit lower demand, although fantastic that uh, the patient's playing sports. And it's been 10 years. And of course we don't have the details about whether the patient has had any issues like any subluxation or any other even minor issues. But in this no, case it's had it's a- it's What?
0: No issues, no issues. No issues,
1: okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then just had this very traumatic event. Um, so so yeah, so after reviewing all the imaging thoroughly, of course, you know, MR arthrogram CAT scan, if we felt like it was indicated, but evaluating for bone loss, evaluating for the Hill sacs, if there was minimal to no bone loss, a small or sort of negligible hill sacks, I mean I I would potentially consider doing I mean I think actually my first choice would be to do a revision bank cart but then likely do a remplissage. um and and I think Bert's point about being prepared to do a ladder J is really important uh it's. I guess just less common though. This is like a recurring theme that we would sort of transition at least to the United States. Like, well, for going in there um, to you know be ready to do the bankart and and uh, remplissage, like we would more than likely do that. But I do think it's always good to have a plan A, B, and C in case you encounter something that you're not prepared for.
0: Okay, and uh, the last uh, case uh, we have a 45 years old um, patient with a. 10% glenoid bone loss, and he has already moderate degenerative changes. So this can influence your uh, indication for doing a bony procedure?
2: Well, you said 10% bone loss, and that's not much. So in a 45-year-old, he has um, quite 50%. low risk. Quite low risk to have another dislocation. (laughs) So first of all, we would do some rehabilitation. Maybe he doesn't have to be operated at all because the risk is low when you are so old. (laughs) Um, And and only 10% bone loss. So I would probably go for a bankrupt procedure then. But of course, if the bone loss was 20% or maybe even higher, then you should also think about restoring the bony surface because he already had degenerative changes. So, so that would be kind of prepare for an arthroplasty.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and then uh, you know, this scenario, Um, of course, asking questions about any previous history of instability or subluxation, like, um, is this the first, first, you know, time that this patient has experienced any of these symptoms, understanding that history will be important. And I agree 45, I don't think any of us think 45 is old, but in like the (laughs) instability, like it might, you know, that age threshold has changed considerably, um, but anyway, uh, I agree completely that I would start with rehab because there's a very, very low risk that this patient would dislocate again um, just given sort of age uh, parameters and um, and then if the patient were to go on to surgery, I agree that I would likely start with a bank card. Uh, if it's a larger if it's larger um, amount of bone loss, And given the articular cartilage changes, I don't, I mean, that, that may actually be an indication for doing like a distal tibial allograft where you're actually, where you have some cartilage in there uh, with your bone block. Um, So something to consider.
0: Okay. So you put uh, much more options. So probably we should uh, do another podcast in order to discuss all these options. (laughs) (laughs) However, thank you very much, both of you. This is the end of this uh, podcast series. Thank you for so much for uh, for you for, for participating and for uh, all, all everyone that attending this.
1: Thank you so Thanks. much Manos for the discussion and Bertha too. So nice to see you guys.
2: Um this is it'll be fun. It's going to be fun to see these podcast episodes. Thank you so much for inviting Manos. Thank you for the fight Mary. I think we did well. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: Stay tuned with uh, Isacos for the, the for uh, all the podcasts and all the other things that uh, Isacos uh, uh, produce. We hope to see you everyone in person in Boston next June when the Isacos Congress will take place. Thank you very much and goodbye.
1: Thank you. Thank you.